You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. happy you know he like talks about joy but joy is a very different thing to happiness you know joy is a deep-seated thing that comes from the soul it's like it's a spiritual life not just an emotion that comes and goes anyway um i'm going to skip a bunch and i'm going to get into my actual preach otherwise we'll be here until lunchtime so today i'm going to share about a story from the old testament that teaches us how we can live in victory because all of you are i'm trusting you want to see victory after victory in your life and I'm going to look at a scripture that will hopefully stir you and you'll think like, I can actually live this life. And it's a lot more simple than we've made it out to be. So you might think, oh, I hope he gives us some sort of deep revelation, tells us some theology I've never heard before. I'm, there's a very good chance I'm not going to do that. But hopefully, I'll stir your faith to some degree. So the scripture is 1 Samuel. And I've got some scriptures on the board. I'm not even sure if I have the right version uh, we're not going to go into that yet. I'm going to give a bit of a background. Is This is what happens. In Samuel, the Philistines, which are the bad guys, they're like the enemies of God's people, have come up against God's people, the Israelites. And right, they've come together in a place called Ebenezer. So it's the good guys versus the bad guys. And then what happens is this battle begins, right? The God's people versus the enemies of God's people. And what happens is they have this massive clash in a place called Ebenezer. And in that space, 4,000 Israelites, which are the people of God, are killed. 4,000 of them are killed in battle, right? So just, just before I carry on, if I say something or have mannerisms that you have no idea what I'm saying, please just stop me and say, what on earth does that mean? Because I never thought about it, but I might say things and you're thinking, we have no clue what that actually means. So... Please feel free to stop me. Anyway, so you got the good guys versus the bad guys. They get together, they clash, they have this massive battle, and you see 4,000 Israelites are killed. So they come to this conclusion, why did we lose? You know, they meet together as elders and they think, why did we lose this battle? And their conclusion is the reason that we lost the battle is because we didn't have the Ark of the Covenant with us. And the Ark of the Covenant, which it symbolized the presence of God, wasn't with them. So they think, what we need to do is we need to go get the Ark of the Covenant, come back, and then we will win the battle. Right? So have you heard of the Ark of the Covenant? Just give you a little bit of overview. Uh, this was a chest. And inside of this chest was it was the Ten Commandments, right, which they kept with them. And then on top of that was something, it was like a, a lid, which was called the Mercy Seat. And so there's the Ark, and then there's the Covenant, and the covenant was this covenantal relationship with God that if they pursue God and they seek God and they honor God, then he will be with them and he'll work through them. But if they go and do their own thing, then they're on their own. Right? So this is what the Ark of the Covenant symbolized. And, and what happens is they distanced themselves. They had the Ark over there and they went into battle and they got a beating. I mean, they got a proper beating. Can you imagine? That's huge. 4,000 soldiers killed. That's a big deal, Right? Uh, and I'm thinking, if you're right now feeling distant from God, it, it, God didn't move. I just want to tell you, like, often we go through seasons where we feel so distant from God, but God doesn't move. God stays in the same place. So these people had moved themselves from God. So the elders, they get together and they think, what we need to do is we need to go get the Ark of the Covenant, and then we need to go and fetch it. And then, so what they do is they go to this place called Shiloh, they get the Ark of the Covenant, they bring it back, and all the people start rejoicing. They are celebrating. The Ark of the Covenant has come back to the people, and they are ecstatic. You know, they come alive, and it says this in verse 5. I also speak very quickly, which I'll try and 
slow down. Now, I've noticed Australians speak quickly too, so you used to it. I'm, I'm in good company. 1 Samuel 4 verse 5 says this. Have we got it? It's okay. I'll read it to you. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. So it's safe to say, these people are very excited. The Ark of the Covenant have come back. Can you imagine you standing there and all of a sudden the ground starts to shake? Right? That's how excited they were. They are celebrating. But there's a problem. They weren't excited because God was with them. They were excited because they had the Ark of the Covenant with them. You know, as if the Ark in itself holds some sort of magical power. They treated the Ark... Like a four-leaf clover. It was their lucky charm. They put their faith in the ark. That's like us in our house, having a fancy Bible on a shelf, and we think to ourselves, no, that Bible keeps me safe. Right? Or we wear our, our, our cross, and it's, you know, it's sentimental value for us, and we think that somehow that cross holds something that's going to protect us. Like it's a lucky charm. Four-leaf clover. The people of Israel moved from covenant conviction to spiritual superstition. And I'm saying this because I'm trusting God that we will get this. They moved from covenant conviction to spiritual superstition. Right? And we don't want to do that. We don't want to move from a relationship with Jesus Christ to religion, an expression of that thing, but it's not, there's no life in it. Uh, as Christians, we don't put our faith in the cross. Now that, you're like, oh, Tim, hold on, guest speaker. Let's just get some theology. We put our faith in the God who went to the cross. And therefore, understand all that the cross symbolizes. Right? So we don't put our faith in the cross. We put our faith in the God of the cross. The Bible, which mine is somewhere, um, is only paper and ink. We do not put our faith in the Bible. We put our faith in the truth of the scripture that comes from the Bible. Right? So these people, the Israelites, they had gone through these forms and rituals and things that symbolized certain things, but they'd lost the relational aspect with God. So they had moved from ritual and routine, and they'd lost God in the process. Uh, this is what happens when people, they chase after an experience instead of an encounter. Go from church to church to church, looking for the greatest this and the latest that and the expression of... And what they're doing is they're looking for an experience, goosebumps, but not an encounter with God. That's secondary. Um, I was going to... I'm very hot. I'm going to take this off. But I was feeling a little bit intimidated because my arms are slightly smaller than yours. Um... <laughs> What's so funny? Um, okay, no, no, I'm just teasing. Okay, there we go. Uh, so, as Christians, uh, we often need, we need to check our hearts. Are we, are we, and you can ask yourself honestly this, just, just before you and God, am I just going through the motions? Am I just going through the motions of Christianity, or, or do I have a, a sincere passion for Jesus Christ? Am I excited about spending time with God, or do I just go do what I do because it's what I've done and I'm getting used to it now, so I read my Bible more because I have to, not because I want to, right? And we need to check our hearts on this thing. I remember when I was at Bible college, many years ago, in 2000, 2001, I was sponsored, I was paid for, I had a bursary, I was looked after, and I left after second year, even though I was sponsored to do third year, because I felt that I was getting more excited about winning arguments than winning souls. So I was getting full of theology, but I had lost that relational aspect with God. You know, I was, you know, I, it was just information. And theology is great when it leads to revelation. And revelation leads to transformation. 
instead of us getting full of information. And we live in an age now where we are, I, I mean, I want to say this without, we've become spiritually obese. We are so full of stuff, we have access to everything and everyone, yet we don't live in the victory and the fullness and the authority of serving Jesus Christ. It's very sad at the same time. Um, So we know all this stuff and we can win arguments, but the passion with Jesus and the excitement to see him shared with the world gets lost. It gets diminished. So, back to the story. I just want to say this. If God saved you just to be saved, he would have taken you home at the same time he saved you. He only left you here because other people need to hear about Jesus. So you don't exist for you. You exist for other people, which need to hear about Jesus. Amen. Yes. uh, Good. Because when we love Jesus, we want to tell the whole world that Jesus is alive. Anyway, back to the story. So the, the, the Philistines, they had previously been afraid of the Israelites because the Israelites were... God's chosen people. You know, they had the favor of God. They were, they were these victorious underdogs. Everywhere they went, they saw victory. And, and, you know, against all odds, they would see victory after victory because God plus one is the majority. We've heard that before. God plus one is the majority. Right? So these people, the Israelites had God. Therefore, they always outnumbered their enemies, no matter how big the enemy was. So, and the Philistines knew this, but then they go into battle with them. And so these, they realize that the Israelites have gone to fetch the Ark of the Covenant, right? So now they've gone to fetch the Ark of the Covenant. They've come back to war after getting a beating. Now they approach the Philistines and they get ready for battle. So now the, the Israelites, this is where they are. They have a reputation. They have enough soldiers to shake the ground. They have the Ark of the Covenant. And now they go back into battle. And guess what happened this time? They got an even, even bigger beating. Right? It says, this time, 30,000 soldiers were killed in battle. 30, you know, not only did the Philistines give them a hiding. Can I say that? Does that make sense? Not only did the Philistines give them a hiding, they also took the Ark of the Covenant with them. Now, can you imagine? Why? Because they were treating the ark and treating God like a lucky charm. I've got God, and therefore I'm going to see victory. If I, if I go to church, and I read my Bible, and the offering comes around, and I put some money in, then I'm good with God, therefore everything will go my way. Superstitious thing, right? Uh, religion gives us a religious reward. It's dead and temporary. Relationship gives us a relational reward. It's, there's eternal value when we put our faith to the things that we're doing, and we don't just do the things because we've always done the things, but they are faith-infused. So when I give something in the offering, it's because I want to see the kingdom expanded, not because that's what we do. You know, we want to survive. We don't want to survive. We want to thrive. We want to see the king exalted in every nation, right? Anyway, I've told our leaders this. For those that preach here, who preaches here? Uh, well, while, while you have a show of hands, who, who are the preachers? Mm. I've got. I've said this to our leaders. If we spend more time in preparation than in His presence, we substitute power for performance. If we spend more time in preparation than in His presence, we substitute power for performance. And we want to be a people that are full of the power of God, not just a good presentation. But there's an anointing on us, on all of us, a rich anointing. So that when we do what we do, even though I'm like, you know, not the most eloquent speaker, 
the power of God will take what I say beyond me because there's an anointing, not because, oh, well, I've spent lots of time prep, uh, in preparation. Uh, as a church, our heart is not to say, oh, Lord, please bless what we are doing. And we may have heard this, but to say, Lord, what, what are you doing? Because we want to back that because therefore it's already blessed. Not, Lord, please, we include you in our plan. Actually, Lord, what's your plan? Are we getting involved? So, back to the story. After the Philistines beat the Israelites, one of the Jewish soldiers ran back to the city. His clothes are torn and he's dirty. And there's this massive uproar and the people of Israel are crying. And during this time, there was a high priest and his name was Eli. And he was the high priest of the temple at the time. And he had two sons who went off to battle, who were killed in battle, but they were sketchy, dodgy. I don't know what you would want to call them. And their names were Hophni and Phineas. And what they used to do is kind of abuse the system of the temple. And then eventually, and they go back and they tell Eli. And Eli, is, he's a very big man and he's gone blind. And he hears the outcry. He hears the people crying and lamenting and upset. So he says, what happened? You know, he can't see at the time. And, and, and a man told him, look, your sons have been killed in battle. And the Philistines have captured the Ark of the Covenant. And Eli, being a big man, he heard the news about the Ark of the Covenant being taken. And he literally fell off his chair and he broke his neck. I mean, that's kind of a, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, that's kind of depressing. Anyway, 1 Samuel 4 verse 18. As soon as he mentioned the Ark of God, not as soon as he mentioned his sons being killed. As soon as this man that came, the messenger, mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat uh, by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. And if you think I haven't depressed you enough already, the story gets worse. Uh, one of Eli's sons, um, well, one of Eli's sons had a wife, and she's pregnant, and she hears the story about the fact that her father-in-law has just died and been killed. Her husband's just been murdered in battle. So she goes into labor and she gives birth to a son and she names him and then dies. Right? So she just has enough time to name him. And she names him Ichabod, which means inglorious or there is no glory because she recognized that the glory of God had departed. If you're taking notes, write this down. There is no greater loss than walking away from the presence of God. There is no greater loss than walking away from the presence of God. And do you know what the sad thing is? We can go through the motions of church and Christianity, even reading your Bible, and still distance yourself from the presence of God. I believe that. We can go through the motions and, and lose God in the process. My, my father was um, extravagantly wealthy. He was very, very wealthy. Uh, a millionaire in dollars. And he had properties all over and he had businesses all over, and he had lots of everything. At the same time, he, and he had, a, he had this relationship with God when he was in university, and then he just became very wealthy. So he distanced himself from God, unfortunately, and he had lots of affairs, and he gambled more than most people should ever gamble. Well, you shouldn't gamble at all. But anyway, he, he gambled a lot, and he ultimately lost everything. I mean, he lost everything. I, I was meant to, what do you call a petrol station? I was getting a petrol station for my, my 18th birthday. Uh, instead, what happened is he, he, he lost everything, and at 51 years old, he had a heart attack and passed away, broke, let, left me some debt. Um, but just before he passed away, uh, I asked him, I, he, he, he kind of started, he lost everything. He was living in a granny cottage from having properties and houses, holiday houses everywhere, to being broke. And 
And I remember saying to him, what happened? What happened? How did, how did it all go bad? Knowing that he had a list of things that he could have told me, and this was his response. He said this, I took my eyes off Jesus. That's it. That's it. It wasn't, oh, and I had affairs, I gambled, I lost money, I squandered, I neglected, uh, you know, I was whatever, ungodly. He says, I took my eyes off Jesus. There is no greater loss in this life than losing sight of Jesus Christ. We must never, ever do it. Anyway, at his funeral, um, I wasn't planning on going here, but as, at his funeral, somebody spoke and shared about how he had gotten involved in the local church and he was helping at the door, and he found value and identity and purpose again because he felt somewhere to belong, and it was in God, and he realized that the most important thing in this world is Jesus. Um, so you might be sitting here thinking, you know, you're going through the motions, but I really want to encourage you, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Anyway, what's interesting to note is that the presence of God didn't depart because they lost the Ark of the Covenant. They lost the Ark of the Covenant because they'd walked away from the presence of God. So, now the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant. They've taken it from the Israelites. Uh, at the same time, it still belongs to God. It's God's thing. It's something sacred. So the people that took it, they stopped getting sick and boils and the idols start falling over and breaking apart. And they're like, eh, we don't want this anymore, so we're going to give it back. So they give it back to the Israelites. But during this time, the Israelites had learned a very important lesson. That it's not the Ark that brings about their victory. It's their relationship with God. We can have all the religion routine structure in the world, have our crosses, our Bibles, our songs, our everything. But if Jesus Christ is not the reason behind it all, it's just ritual. Right? We've got to keep that thing alive. Their victory didn't come from having the ark. It came from the God of the ark. Right? Our victory doesn't come from owning a Bible or wearing a cross or coming to church. It comes from the God of the Bible, the God of the cross, and the God of the church. It's all for Him. It's all to Him. It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's why we live. It's why you breathe. If you're still breathing right now, it means Jesus Christ has you here to serve others, to tell people about Jesus. Anyway, now Eli has died, but to his credit, he raised a spiritual son, a guy named, anyone know? Samuel. And Samuel was taken to to the temple by his mom, who was Hannah, who said, Lord, if I have a son, then I'll devote him to you. So the best way she knew how was she gave him to the temple. And, And he was raised up to be... You know, a prophet in Israel. Anyway, so Samuel is one of the leaders. These people, they all go, and they say, look, Samuel, please help us. We got a beating. We went and got the Ark of the Covenant back. We got another beating. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 7, verse 3 to 14. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord, not if you are returning to church, if you are, retur- if you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, Then put away your foreign gods and your Ashtaroth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him only. Church, serve God only. Uh, And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all the people of Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, uh, and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. So they recognized sin is distancing ourselves from God. It's not the sin in itself. It's the fact that it causes separation. So they realized that the sin has become an issue. They've distanced themselves from God. They've got the, the routine and they've got the religion, but they've lost God. So they repent and Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. 
And we long for revival in any town. Like you guys must long for revival in whatever space you've been put in. You want to see people reached. And, and when we see Jesus Christ put in his rightful place, then it brings about revival to that town. Right? So when we repent and renounce, God will replenish and restore. And, and if you feel like the enemy right now is plundering your life, you don't need more religion. I'm going to be more devoted. You need, you need a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to just get that relationship right. Anyway, verse 7. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So now they come back for battle number three. This time, they're going up against, they God's people, with God's anointing, God's call. They're going up against the enemies of God, and this time, they are afraid of them. Before, everyone was afraid of the Israelites. Now, all of a sudden, the Israelites have taken a place back-footed. Now, they're afraid. Some of you, I believe, might be sitting in a situation where things that should be afraid of you, you have become afraid of them. Addictions, or whatever it may be. Things that you should be have authority over, take authority over us when the relationship with Jesus Christ is not where it should be. Things get out of order. So, verse 8. It's not the most, uh, hopefully you get some encouragement out of the message other than that was depressing. Uh, verse 8, and the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And we understand today you don't need to go through your pastor to go to God, you can go straight to God. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering. And we understand the symbolism there and the, uh, the prophetic picture. Um, to the Lord, and Samuel cried out to the Lord of Israel, for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and drew them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. I love this. It doesn't say this. Israel, they sharpened their swords, they got prepared, they readied themselves for battle, they went out, the match was tough, but the Israelites won. It says this. They cried out, they repented, they said, Lord, please help us, we've got no, we don't know where to go, we don't know what to do. They go to the priest, they say, Lord, please, like, please pray on our behalf. While they're busy sacrificing and making their right, life right with God, God goes ahead of them and brings about the victory. So the Philistines start attacking each other, and all they do is run behind, kill those that are running away, and they take the plunder. When you get your relationship with God right, the victories start to follow you. Right? But God wants that relationship to be right first. And when it is, the victories you see, God gets all the glory. Verse 11, And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shem and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. My prayer for you guys is that God will give you Ebenezer moments. That as a church you'll be able to look back and say, That was a victory God gave us. That was a victory God gave us. That was a victory God gave us, not because we went through the motions, but because we hungered after the presence of God. You know, otherwise it's just religion. It's just routine. Uh, Also, I had another word, and I'll say it now for this church. I was praying for you guys last night, and the word, just the word mustard seed. Just mustard seed. I feel this church is a mustard seed in the hand of God. Uh, You don't need more, you know. If we have faith as small as a mustard seed, this church infused with faith and a passion for Jesus Christ, will change the world. And I know this from my personal life, God loves the underdog. And you might feel, oh, but we, we're only this big and we kind of had... No, no. God plus one is a majority. You, you, you have God? 
you will... Anyway, verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued. The bad guys got put in their place by God himself and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. God's going to restore some of you. All you have to do is get your life right with Jesus. From Ekron to Gath, the, uh, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. God starts to bring restoration when we put him first. And people say, you know, they, they, this is the order they say. You may have heard this. It's God first, then my, then my family, then my ministry, then my work. And I want to say that's wrong. Um, it by default separates God from all other categories. So this is the way the order should be. It's God first in my ministry, God first in my work, God first in my marriage, God first in my relationships, God first with my finances. No, not God then, but God in everything. So the order is not that. Uh, is it ministry before family? No, it's God first in ministry, God first in family. Anyway. So the word Ebenezer means the stone of my help. Jesus Christ is our rock, our cornerstone, our foundation, our victory, our everything. Uh, God restores our spiritual lives, our, spirit, uh, our physical lives, our relationships. Everything gets restored when he gets put back on the throne of our lives. So what can we take credit for? What can you guys take credit for as a church? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Outside of seeking and serving Jesus Christ, we have no boast. If people respond to a message, what credit do I get? Nothing. What credit do we get for having an amazing church and incredible worship? By the way, you, you are very gifted, and that was amazing. You know, there's a difference between a person who sings and plays and a person who worships. And you're a worshiper. God bless you. Keep that going. Anyway, so so we take no credits, and our encouragement's great, but all glory to God. Um, so we take no credits. Uh, I want to end with two scriptures. Take these to heart, please. They're so simple. I'm sure you can quote them and you know them. You've heard them a million times. But let them be true to you. Matthew 6 verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What do you need in this church? More than anything else. Seek the king and his kingdom. Done. Is Jesus first in our lives? Do we live lives of faith? Psalm 115 verse 1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. I'm trusting that God is going to work in you and through you and use you to show off his power and his glory and his might because he deserves it all. Jesus Christ. I mean, we're talking about God here. May this church be full of Ebenezer moments. Moments where you look back and go, wow, God, you came through. Uh, we were in a situation there, we were in a pickle there, but wow, God, you came through. Not because we did the routine, but because we pursued you with faith. May this be the most faithful place ever. Uh, and I, I want to end with one scripture. It's not really, I'm not going to go into detail. In Exodus 8, verse 9 to 10. It's, it's, and you may have heard it. I, I heard it and I was like, wow, that's amazing. What a cool scripture. And I told someone, he's like, oh, I heard it preach on that 30 years ago. So it was like, eh. But anyway, for me, it was like, cool. Um, the second plague in Exodus is the plague of frogs. Now they had frogs everywhere. I mean frogs everywhere. Can you imagine you get home and as you get home, there's frogs all over your driveway and you're trying to ever walk down a frog? No. 
It's not the coolest thing ever. Anyway, so they, they walk. Can you imagine walking on frogs? And you open the fridge, and there's frogs everywhere. And then you go get into bed, and you move the, what do you call it, duvet? Du- duna. You move the duna, and there's just frogs in your bed and under your pillow. And you've got to move frogs. Can you imagine the feeling? Like, there's frogs everywhere. You get up in the night, you go to the bathroom, and there's frogs, frogs in the toilet, frogs. They're plagued by frogs, right? So Moses goes to Pharaoh and says this. Fascinating. When would you like us to get rid of the frogs? What would you say? Right now. I want them gone immediately. Look at what he says there. Pharaoh. I don't know where you can see the word. Tomorrow. What on earth was he thinking? Let's get rid of the frogs tomorrow. My encouragement is this. If you've got something to sort out with God... There's something in your life that shouldn't be there. Or you need to devote yourself to Jesus Christ. When's the best time to do it? Now. Now. Not tomorrow. Don't live with the frogs anymore. If you're living in a situation where you feel like that thing shouldn't be there, this isn't right, this isn't ideal, don't wait for tomorrow. Sort it out today. And let me tell you, God is powerful enough to break any addiction, get you free of any kind of thing you're struggling with, overcome any kind of... And sometimes the situation may change, but your perspective will change and you'll be filled with faith and hope again. But don't wait for tomorrow what God wants you to do today. Maybe it's repent. Maybe it's to sort out something. Maybe it's to say sorry to someone. Maybe it's to give your life to Jesus Christ. But don't do tomorrow what God's called you to do today. As a church, don't wait for next week to implement what you need to implement today. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we, as, as your, as your people, Lord Jesus, we will live lives that, that reflect who you are. We will be devoted to you in every way. I pray, Lord, that we won't go through the motion and religious routine and just live lives that seem to, like we're just trying to survive. I thank you that we will thrive, that we will live victorious lives because we reflect who you are through us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that this church is infused with power and faith. I thank you, Lord Jesus, this church will be used to change nations. I thank you, Lord, it's not because this church has anything other than a relationship with Jesus Christ, a desire to see you glorified. I thank you for the leaders of this church. I thank you that they go from strength to strength. I thank you for the visitors in this church. I thank you, Lord, that they are touched by your presence. There is no greater reason to live than to serve you, Lord Jesus. May we be convicted to put you first in all things. May we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, if there's any insecurity or doubt or faith, faithlessness when it comes to this group, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you will change that even in a moment. I thank you, Lord, that we don't put off till tomorrow what you've called us to do today. Some of us need to repent. Some of us need to say sorry to our spouse. Some of us need to, to make right where we've gone wrong. I pray, Lord Jesus, for your continued anointing. I thank you for your anointing on every person here. I thank you that everybody here takes the responsibility of sharing their faith with the world. I thank you, Lord, because of this church, Australia will never be the same again. Neither will the rest of the world. Show us your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. 
For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.